want to start by talking about this series we're going to start today called Here. Um, it's a series for leaders. It's a series based upon the fact that you are a leader, whether you like to believe it or not. Um, someone asked me this last week. They came by and said, Pastor, where are we going next in this series? I said, well, the last series is done. We did the on-duty series, meaning that when we get impassioned by God, we're always ready to go. This series, we're going to talk about the fact that the reason you can go and be a part of the kingdom work is because everyone in this room is a leader. And you may be saying already, because this person asked me the same question, Pastor, I'm not a leader, so why would you preach this sermon? And I told them this, everyone in this room has influence. Everyone. You have influence in some area of your life, which means that you are a leader. So go ahead and just kind of straighten up a little bit, get ready, because you're a leader, and this series is for you. Because I believe this, that when leaders start to lead, things change. Um, John Maxwell says it like this, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. You have in you the capacity to lead in your influence. So how does that look? And where do we find that in Scripture? Well, we're going to start in the Scripture today in 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings 18. Now, to kind of lay down the groundwork of this passage, we have to go back. We have to go back to a time where the prophets really led the kingdom. These are men that would stand before God and hear from God on what they were supposed to do. And the people would listen and respond. But this didn't last for them because the people of God began to say, we want a king. We want someone that can lead us. The prophet at the time says, listen, I don't think you know what you're asking for. You're asking for someone that's going to take from you, demand from you, kill you, take you away, sell off your possessions. They said, give us that kind of guy. And so God sent one in the name of Saul. Remember Saul in Scripture? Saul was a, a tall guy. He looked kingly. And everybody celebrated until Saul quit listening to God. And so God removed Saul as king and he appointed David. Remember David? I mean, David's one of those guys that you have to like in Scripture. You have to root for, right? He was the underdog. He was the, he was the guy that led in the midst of strife. He Man, he made mistakes, so he's our kind of guy. And ultimately, because of mistakes that David made, Solomon, his son, who was a great man. In fact, Scripture says he was the wisest of men. Remember, he chose wisdom above anything else, and God gave to him more than any other king ever. Solomon was the richest, had the most power. He was the most blessed. He was ultimately the king that would build the temple. Um, and then at the end of Solomon's reign... Solomon began to turn to foreign gods. And because of that, God needed to show the people of him that he needed to make a change. And so the kingdom divides into two. Israel and Judah. And this is where it gets interesting. How many good kings were there in Israel? Settle. Zip. Zilch, how many in Judah? There's a, probably about seven, if you really count, if they started out good or bad. In the midst of these kings, as generations where a good king would rise and follow after God, he would destroy all the foreign idols, he would pursue the works of God, he would look back to the words of God in scrolls, and the people would be brought closer to God. 
But then the next king would show up and he would build the idols back. We hear it in the high places. That was so it could be seen. And so they would set the idols back up and then a generation would go by that would neither fear God nor pursue him. We see that a lot in scripture, especially in 1 and 2 Kings. And so along comes in, in 2 Kings chapter 18, a good king. A king that we can stand behind and a king today that we're going to start a series with as we pursue this series on leadership. 2 Kings chapter 18, starting with the first verse. In the third year of Israel's king Hosea, son of Eli, Hezekiah, son of Asa, became king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. I just want to stop there and just identify what just happened. A 25-year-old just became king. Did you know in the United States, as a 25-year-old, you cannot become president? At 25, just think back to some of y'all in this room, the mistakes we made at 25. There's your king. Is everybody excited about the king at 25 years old? And so for 29 years he reigns. But look at what verse 3 says. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places. He uh, shattered the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke them into pieces into the bronze snake that Moses made for the Israelites to burn incense to it up at that time. And he called it Neshretan. Now Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel and not one of the kings of Judah was like him either before him or after. That's a big task, right? That's a, that's a big calling card. And verse 6, he remained faithful to Yahweh and did not turn from following him because the commands of the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. And whatever he went, uh, and wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the kings of Assyria and did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its borders from the watchtower to the fortified city. Hezekiah was the man. Now, I want you to know something about Hezekiah. It, it really strikes me as interesting when we look at the history of kings, where Hezekiah falls. Hezekiah falls right between Asa, who had reigned 16 years, and Manasseh, who will reign 55 years, both of which will not follow God. So in the midst of these terrible kings, Hezekiah falls. For 29 years, he prospers in all he does because he follows after God. Have you ever torn anything up like torn down a fence or maybe it's like at your house you've always had your recliner in that one spot on the carpet what happens when you move that recliner you can tell a difference like something's missing correct you imagine these idols that have been put up before hezekiah's time that have been worshiped at that have been praised for these foreign gods that all the people had gone to pray to that when Hezekiah shows up and he becomes king, he tears down and there's these empty lots of foreign gods left behind. But it's more than that. It's more than just these foreign idols. It says that he tears down other things, right? He shatters the sacred pillars, which means that all these foreign god temples would fall. It also says he cut down the Asherah poles, which would have been areas of perversion that he would have torn down from his culture. And so in Hezekiah's time, even at the age of 25, he begins to follow after God in a way that was not done before him or after. Hezekiah was somebody that led. 
Now, what does that look like to us in our culture? Because honestly, we know what we worship in our culture, right? We worship things like power. We worship things like money. We worship things like status. I don't know if you've ever been around uh, the concerts here at the church, but it's really interesting because one of my buddies is one of those guys now. And, and so we were standing with him and we walked him out to sign autographs, which I think is really funny because I, my buddy, man, I, I love him. I don't have anything by him that's signed because, like, he's a regular dude to me. Like, he's my brother. He's my friend. But, I mean, people lined up to have his signature on stuff. I began to think that's really interesting, isn't it? It's kind of weird that we would pursue a human being for their autograph, but then I take myself back. Because, see, in my office, I've got Tom Landry's signature. And let's just be honest, if we're in the room today, we would have lined up for that signature, wouldn't we? I mean, we would have stood in a line just to get that autograph. But, I mean, not my buddy, because he's just an ordinary guy, but Tom Landry. Now, come on, that's not ordinary, right? Like, I'm pretty sure he had angel wings, right? I mean, the statues out in front of the, the whole football stadium. I mean, clearly he's angelic. I mean, that's how we, we create worship, is we value things higher than other things. And in Hezekiah's day, he said nothing compares to God. As a leader, you have got to set the standard for all those around you that says to them that God is worth more than anything else. We can identify these things really quickly. Let me give you some church things that we worship more than God. When you have a fellowship and you eat longer than you pray, we're worshiping food more than God. When you have a Bible study at your personal time and you have to listen to music more than you have to uh, spend time in the Word, you're worshiping music more than God. Do you see how we play the game with God? We, I mean, we stand right on that, that tightrope of believing that we worship the one true God when in fact we just worship all the stuff around him. You know, I asked someone the other day, what if every person that pursued God with their life in a week's time lost everything they had, lost every friend they had, and died in the week? How many people do you think would come to Christ then? I'm just saying, you, you invite Christ in your life on a Sunday, and by Saturday of that week, you know the end of your life is coming. And in that week's time, you're going to lose everything, everything in that week. How many people do you think would come to know Christ? You see, we don't talk that way because we believe this. When you come to know Christ, you will never die, correct? We, eternal life, right? But we also believe you always have a friend in Jesus. And we also believe that he has a cattle on a thousand hills. We like the entrapments. We just don't like the fact that Christ may lead you to a foreign place at a foreign time, and it may cost you everything. In fact, it may cost you your life. That's just not a gospel we like. But that's exactly the gospel that Jesus preached. In fact, he preached that more than he preached wealth and prosperity ever. Did you know that Jesus talked more about loneliness for following him than he did togetherness? Why is it that we believe that 
there's times when we won't feel lonely in faith. This is why we need leaders. God gave you a leadership position because you have influence in a field somewhere at some point. And you may say, I don't work. That's okay. You know people. You go grocery shopping. You go to the bank. You make a decision. So because you have a decision to be made, you have influence. And because you have influence, you are a leader, whether you want to be or not. Charles Barkley was famous during his basketball days for saying that, that he was not a role model, just because he was a basketball player, that he wasn't a role model. Can I just tell you, you're always in view. In fact, now more than ever, you're on tape. Whether you know it or not, when you go to the gas station or when you go to the bank or when you walk into AISD schools, you're being videotaped. And you're being seen all around the world because people can access that. Thanks, Russia. Um, let's, just, let's just do that. But you can be seen, right? You can be seen because there is something constantly filming you. And so I just got to say, because you're a person of influence, what does your videotape show today? Do y'all remember Teddy Ruxpin? I remember the first round of that. One of my, my littler cousins got the first round of that. And I remember how creepy he was then. I mean, he came and you would pull up the back of his shirt and you'd put in an audio tape in his back. And you would shut it. And you'd push play and you'd turn him around real quick. And he would read to you. It was awesome. The bad thing about Teddy Ruxman is every once in a while he came alive when you didn't want him to. <laughs> Which is the reason I didn't own one because I'd seen that movie when I was growing up and I didn't want one of those. But now the new Teddy Ruxman's out. Have you seen this guy? LED eyes. You don't have to put an audio tape in. Now you download onto Teddy Ruxman. Anybody bought the new Teddy Ruxman? No? Okay, good. Because Teddy Ruxman watches you. And he's been hacked. So now Teddy Ruxman listens to you and lets people know around you what you said at your house. Now, I don't know about you, but when my kids were little, I didn't want to be audio taped. How about you? Because I wanted people to believe that I was a parent that kept my cool. I mean, I'm a pastor. I have to, right? Like, I never get angry. I never lose my cool. So I never looked at my kids and said, if you do that one more time. I will take you out of this world. I can make another of you. I didn't want that recorded, but now it has been. Amen. Um, but I mean, if we're being honest in the privacy of our home, we don't want to be recorded. But if you got Teddy Ruxpin, you have been. What about that? What, what's that echo thing that you can get from, from Amazon? What is it? Alexa. Alexa listens to you too, right? And so I don't know if you saw the news about the family that all of a sudden got a three-story dollhouse at their house. Because their daughter talked to Alexa and said she wanted one. And approved the purchase of it. And so, lo and behold, at their house, they get a three-story dollhouse. I think it was valued at like two grand. <laughs> Lord, I can make more. I'm just saying right now, I, out of this world. Like, whoo. That would, that would be an interesting call to Amazon, wouldn't it? Okay, I just got a three-story dollhouse. Can you tell me why? Oh, you ordered it. Oh, who ordered it? Your daughter did. What daughter? <laughs> Gone. Um, 
But I think that there's a, something we need to know is you have influence. Your words have influence. Your actions have influence. The way you look at people has influence. And because you have influence, you have an opportunity. And that opportunity starts now that you take your leadership seriously. Because you're a leader. And that's why this series is going to matter. So what do we get from Hezekiah today that you can take away as a leader? Number one, leaders trust deeply. Leaders trust deeply because there's something to trust in. You see, there's a difference between okay leaders and great leaders. Great leaders have something behind them. And Hezekiah, in verse 5, says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. See, Hezekiah trusted in something greater than himself. You ever been out in the ocean? I mean, tasted the salt water? If you've been in the ocean, you tasted the salt water, believe me. But you ever have that moment, like April and I were snorkeling, and you get out in the ocean, and you're kind of floating along, and all of a sudden you realize, I have nothing to hold on to. Like at this point, if something goes drastically wrong, like a cramp, I'm done. You have nothing to grab onto, nothing that can secure you. Trust is the ability to find something that you can hold on to and to never let go of. The beauty of trusting in God is, he's a trust that you can hold on to that never lets go of you. See, great leaders trust deeply. Great leaders also, leaders are faithful without deviation. How do we get this from Hezekiah? Verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him, and he remained faithful to Yahweh. Faithfulness in leadership is something that can only be showed up in a term, trusting. Can people trust your word? Let's be honest in the room today, we've lied. Correct? Liars. Yes, you have. We've all lied. And we've all lied with good intention. You ever had this moment? How does this dress look? The answer is expensive. But the, the answer you give is, great. Or I go and tell my wife, how does my hair look today? And she's like, really good. When she knows good and well, I'm wearing an antenna on the back of my head. Lies. How about this one? Hey, welcome to church this morning. How's your family? We're good. You didn't say, I kicked them all out there at McDonald's and made them walk. Because I hate them all. Lies. Or how about this one? Hey, uh, would you pray for me? Of course I will. Lies. You see, your word is your bond. That's what we've heard all of our life, right? Scripture says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. There used to be a day that you could trust a man with a handshake, right? That a man would say, that's what it's going to be, and you would shake his hand and you could believe it. You could take it to the bank. And now, I don't know about you, but I don't trust handshakes. How about you? I want it in writing. We've been burned, haven't we? You see, people who lead should be able to be taken at their word. This hurts, doesn't it? Because I know where I failed in that. I know where my word shouldn't have been taken as gospel. I know where I've lied. And so how do we change that? 
Well, it starts just like Hezekiah does. We trust deeply in God, and we become faithful without deviation. We don't move to the left or the right. We keep very firmly going ahead. John Wooden, the basketball coach, said this, the most powerful leadership tool you have is your own personal example. I want to read that one more time. The most powerful leadership tool you have is your personal example, which means this. Great leaders can be trusted. Great leaders are people that when put in a spot where they feel like they're in a corner, they stay true to their character. They don't deviate. Why is it that we fall into character flaws of people so easily? You know what I'm talking about? Like someone that we shouldn't trust, we trust. Or someone that we should trust, we don't. Is it because we feel a weakness in us that makes us go, we shouldn't be trusted? You see, great leaders are faithful without deviation. And Hezekiah trusted in God fully. He did not turn from following him, but he kept the commands of the Lord. Here's the last. Leaders have a come with me mentality. Come with me. You know, I think this is true of every leadership position in the world. Leadership is not the ability to tell people, go there and do this. Leadership is the ability to say, come with me as we do this. Leadership is a come with me mentality. You know, in leadership, this is a side note, great leaders take the bullets for the many so that the many take no bullets. Sometimes that hurts, doesn't it? Those of y'all that are in leadership positions and organizations know what that feels like. When you feel the bullets are coming and you step into the line of, of fire and you take them so that the many don't feel anything. That's what great leadership is. Leadership is a come with me mentality that tells people we're on this journey together. See, leaders are always in motion because they know when something stops, something has to die. You know, it's funny, as I was preparing this series, on leadership, I started thinking about all the places where leaders need to be, and you saw it in the video. Leaders have to be in the huddle, right? They have to clearly kind of give the play of the day. You have to have a leader at the table, someone that, that says, quit fighting, just listen. How was your day? We need leaders in, in Walmart. You're like, <laughs> what? Yeah, we need people that say no to some things. We need leaders that stand up for the rights of others. Can I just say this, and, and I hope you take this the right way. I believe the church should be standing up for the rights of everyone. That doesn't mean that we back down on the word of God. I think the word is truth. And I believe there's sin. And I believe sin should not be applauded. Period. I do, however, believe this. No one in this world should be treated with evil because we have Jesus in us. Doesn't mean you have to agree. In fact, can I just tell you, Scripture tells us that you don't have to agree to love. And so that means this. When you see someone being picked on or put down, the Christ in you should rise up because that's what leaders do. They put Jesus in front of everyone. Did you know that Jesus really hasn't had to ever be defended once? He's good enough. He's strong enough. He's manly enough. He's perfect enough 
You let him take the front stage, and I promise you he'll do all the work. Leaders put Jesus first. As I look at Hezekiah's life, I think about all the pressures he must have felt. He just came out of a former administration that turned away from God, that formed these foreign idols, that you know, practiced these crude acts, and arrives a 25-year-old Hezekiah who probably wasn't given much of a chance. He's 25. In a culture that doesn't really like young people, can we just say that? Gray is better, age is better, shows wisdom. And a 25-year-old shows up and he says, all of this junk is gone. Because there is a God and we're all going to serve him. That's the practice of where we go together. You see, this series is for leaders and you're one of them. You have influence, you have authority. It's just time that you took your stand. You're a leader. I want to ask you a question. Have you blown it? Have you blown your opportunities to lead? And if you're in this room and you're sitting down right now or standing up on the stage, you've blown it. We've just missed some moments where we should have led when we didn't. We haven't been the Hezekiahs. Instead, we've been, frankly, we've been more like Saul. We've found the limelight and we've served ourselves. See, because leaders go last. That's what leaders do. Leaders like to stand back and congratulate and thank and point the, point the praise towards others, but take the criticism upon themselves. That's what leaders do. So can I ask you today, have you blown it? You see, as we go in this leadership series, I believe that God's going to speak over you that your authority should be taken seriously and that you should stand for the things that matter to God, that are powerful, that are trustworthy, that are truth. And because of that, you have a plan in mind by God for greatness. Not for ruin, not for okay greatness. But you've got to follow after him. I was reading the story of Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill is given the authority to lead. And he comes into a meeting and one by one, men in the room stand up and tell Winston Churchill how how things are going under and how things are just frankly they're not going to look great and Winston Churchill comes in and he says I did not show up today to see the destruction of an empire he said isn't it exhilarating to feel the whoosh of a bullet that has been missed today I believe this with all my heart Satan's after you He's coming after you. You know how I know that? You're in this room. He's coming after you. The funny thing about it is most people live their whole lives believing that but not doing a thing about it. But you know what the greatest part about that is knowing this. Satan may be after you. But listen, Jesus is with you. And I got to tell you, Satan doesn't have anything on Jesus. He can't get to him. He can't hurt him. He can't win over him. The victory's already been won and written down. Satan knows what his path is. And that Jesus is with you. Here's the thing, though. Unless you've given him your life, 
you don't know what it feels like to have that protection and that closeness to God. Because of the cross, you can have that today. So for those of us that have blown it, and we've all blown it, we've all missed the mark in our leadership. Today we can make it right because of Jesus. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, you can give him your life today. But listen, it's all in. To fall after Jesus, you have to be all in. And that means this. I can promise you somebody somewhere today has given their life to Christ. And it's going to cost them everything. It's going to cost them wealth, their friendship, and even their life today. To follow after Jesus. But listen, i got to tell you something. Even if it does. Even if it costs you everything. Give him your everything, it's worth it. Because see, life is but a breath. Here one second, gone the next. But there's an eternity to be had. And scripture tells us that when we have Christ as our Lord and Savior, when our breath ends here, eternity begins. And those that have placed their hearts and lives into Jesus Christ will spend eternity with him. So even if it costs us our earthly breath, it will start an eternal life with him. It also says this, those that don't know him, as Lord and Savior. Also start an eternity. And this eternity is in a place called hell. Which can I tell you, Bible describes it as a place of torment, a place of eternal burning. Like it's, it's terrible, but can I tell you that is the smallest side of hell. The greatest side of hell is you're completely separated from God. Something that we don't get here on earth yet. Because as much as we feel like we've seen hell on earth, it's never been departed from a God who created it. Hell is a place devoid of that protection. And so can I just ask you today, if you're going to lead, you need to lead well. And to lead well, you must trust in Jesus. You've got to trust in something greater than yourself. The next is, you've got to be faithful without deviation. Hold on, baby, hold on. Because life is going to be rough, and in that roughness and that toughness, God needs leaders. And the last is this, when you hold on to Jesus, when you don't turn away, you tell people with you, come with me. Come with me. Let's follow Jesus together. That's what leaders do. So if you've blown it, I've blown it, you've blown it, we're in that together. Today, if you haven't given Jesus your life, today is your day. Be a leader. Stand up. Take your place. Today, if you do know Jesus, but you continue to blow it, I'm going to ask you to do something for me today, because I believe the Lord's calling us to do it. Come find yourself down here at the front. Come fall on your face before God and just declare to him, I've blown it and I don't want to anymore. I want to lead well. I want to be a Hezekiah kind of person today. Listen, I know it's not easy. And I just want you to know, already when I said come down here up to the front and kneel, I know what some of you said. You ready for it? Oh, but my knees, Brother Kyle, or my hip, Brother Kyle, or Lord, my, Kyle, my attitude. I don't want people to see me. Or how about this one? If I had to get up to go to the front, I would have to go past three, these three people to get there. And they're mean. And I don't like them. Leaders have a come with me kind of attitude. And today is the day to be a leader to say this. I'm going to the front to pray. Y'all should come with me. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. 
There's people in this room that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Does that matter to you? Because, see, because leaders will get on their face before God to cry out to him on behalf of those that don't know him. Find yourself today here. Because that's what leaders do. Leaders trust God without deviation. Leaders hold on to him and leaders say, come with me. So come with me this morning. Let's get on our face before God and let's set things right because this world is full of people with influence and now is your time to lead. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we enter this time, God, I pray that you would just speak over the folks in this room, God, to not listen to the enemy, but to be bold. Leaders are bold. Lord, leaders take a stand when all those around them sit. And so this morning, God, we just ask that you would make us people that move. God, that we'd be people that fall on our face before a holy God and just say today, I'm in. Call on me. I will be faithful. I will hold on. And I will tell people to come with me. Today, Lord, lead us and guide us, Father. Speak over us now. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.